Once again, thank you for the privilege of uh, the opportunity to share God's word with you this morning. This morning's title is, Who Will Dwell With God? These two chapters seem to bring us back to the beginning of the book of Isaiah, where chapters 1 and 2 speak about the same theme. Isaiah 56 and 57 exhorts the people of Israel to maintain justice and do what is right, for God's salvation is at hand and his righteousness will soon be revealed. As Sandra read out to us this morning, well read too. Thank you for that. It condemns the, it condemns Israel's leaders for not keeping watch as true shepherds should and for their practice of idolatry. And between this section and the theme which will follow next week in chapter 58 is a comforting oracle of salvation for the humble. And as we sang this morning, victory has been won already. Victory is in the servant. In Isaiah 53, actually beginning at chapter 53 and verse 13, it talks about the suffering servant and the glory of the servant. Isaiah 54 brought us the future restoration of Jerusalem and in Isaiah 55, as Andrew Lee shared with us last week, was the invitation for those who thirst. (laughs) Salvation is the act of God whereby he gathers his people, both Jews and Gentiles, and unites them with himself and with one another. The proper response is that of covenant loyalty. The people of Israel were not keeping with the covenant. Folks, that message is the same for us today. What kind of people are we to be? The people of God are to be marked out by righteousness and by justice. Not that these people need to earn their way to God by being righteous and just. It's not that at all. These people have already been bound, have already bound themselves to God. You know, if you are a believer, you too are bound to God. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that you have been saved. To do what? To do good works. You've already been saved. Now let's do the good work. Now live out the covenant of righteousness. And this righteousness from God comes from faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's what it says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 22. The question is, how do we live this righteousness out? Paul in Ephesians asks us to be imitators of God. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and 16 says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I think we all want to live as the light of the world. We want to live as the community of believers, just like we are here this morning all together, and we want to be the salt of the earth, don't we? 
but it's not easy. And in the real world, it really is hard. And it's not just the way in which we live, but the world looks at the church and sees how we are living. And our example at times is not good. We get labelled as hypocrites. We're not labelled for the good work that we do and that we continue to do because the church is involved in such good work and founded a lot of good work. But rather, we seem to be uh, remembered for our arrogance and our self-righteousness. Now, I know a few people very close to me that accuse the church blatantly that we're hypocrites because they think that the church has got it right on all accounts. But the church is run by humans and humans make mistakes. And while the church might not always get it right, God does. Because God continues to work his plan of salvation through the ages. Now in these verses, God is about to include the foreigners and the eunuchs as part of those who will serve in the temple and dwell with God. When we look at Deuteronomy chapter 23, the foreigner and the eunuch were excluded from his people. But the reality, the reality was that these outsiders, so to speak, were being more righteous and more just than those that were ministering in the temple. They were the ones keeping the Sabbath and they were those that were pleasing God. And these will be those who will be included to dwell with God. And then in Isaiah 56, 7, and God will accept their, pro- their sacrifices. You see, the new covenant people of God will be made up of foreigners, Gentiles and the nations. Members of certain nations who came and lived with the Israelites had been excluded from worship. But the work of the servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ, would change all this. These, by Deuteronomy standards, were all outsiders. But these are the people that will have a genuine love for God. Jesus himself became wounded and an outsider, for he was cast out by his own people. Anyone who binds themselves to him, as Jesus, becomes an insider. Anyone who is a sinner can be brought in to the heart of Christ. Christ, who is righteous, justifies many. This new covenant for us would seem to be inside out. You see, the Lord is not about ethnicity or colour. 
He's not even interested in riches. He has no concern for appearance or fame. He's only concerned with faith. And then in Isaiah 56, 7b, he is all-inclusive. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. No exclusions. All nations. Now Jesus quotes this in Mark chapter 11, verse 17, because when he entered the temple, he didn't see a place where people could sit down and pray. It seemed like he walked into the shopping centre. The people were trading and exchanging money. Now, Jesus would have known these verses in Isaiah. And then going down further, he declares to gather more and more in besides those already gathered. So those who had no part in it at all will form the new covenant. And the prophet looks forward to an era where Jews and Gentiles will worship worship God together. From Isaiah chapter 56, verses 9 to 12, God turns to the leaders and shepherds and accuses them of being blind and lacking righteousness lacking knowledge, sorry, that the beasts, they they are foreign invaders, will come and devour the sheep, which are the people of Israel. The shepherds are like mute dogs, it says. They don't bark and they give no warning. They were only interested in themselves. They had mighty appetites, never seeming to get enough. They've all gone their own way. And they're all drunk. Imagine that sort of leadership. What a sad state of affairs. And don't we know it, that when we see leaders of any nation or any organisation take their eye off the ball, we normally see their demise. I was talking to a friend who just lost his job about a week ago, he was telling me how the company he worked for was left in the hands of his son and his daughter. The company was doing well while his father was in charge. He focused on what was required, making company profits and being wise with those profits, reinvesting in the company, etc. When the son and daughter took control... He told me how they started spending the profits on themselves. Flashy cars, going out to lavish restaurants and indulging in opulent parties. Not great leadership, is it? Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. But the shepherds of Israel were asleep. They didn't even recognise righteousness. You know, when you ask the world today, they tell you that, ah, whatever's right for you is okay. They can make anything that is wrong 
appear to be right. God's standard doesn't count anymore. And the people in Isaiah's day were filled with sorcery and idolatry. They sacrificed and made covenants with other gods, loving their pagan idols more than the one and only true God. It's no different today, is it? Are we spending more time with our idols that are taking away or robbing us from time with God? You see, there was no righteousness. They had no fear and they had no peace. That's all in chapters 57. The prophet was proclaiming the word of God to the people of Israel. But at the same time, this warning is for future generations. He's warning God's people against apostasy, faithlessness and idolatry. And you know, when God asks the question of the people of Israel, who do you think you are? The answer comes back, pagan. We're pagan, just like the other nations. They were not living in the righteousness of the covenant of God. Israel had become just like the other nations. Israel, which was supposed to be an example to the world and to other nations, is just like them. Now, that actually frightens me and challenges me because when I'm out and about in public and I like to be and supposed to be that light in that dark place and then suddenly you get caught up with the way of the world That's a dangerous thing. And then I have to come back and confess my inadequacy and feel the pain of the Lord's rebuke. Fortunately, from Isaiah 57, 13b to 19, we see the comforting oracle of salvation for the humble. You see, God has shown them their sin Now he wants them to turn around. He wants to make them and us aware that we're more wicked than we ever realised but much more loved than we can ever dreamed possible. The Lord himself initiates full redemption of his children. We sang that this morning. You know, if God was continuously angry, the righteous would lose heart. Therefore, he revives the spirit of his people by words of comfort. He assures the humble that they will receive all they need for this life and the life to come. He is the exalted king. It says, the high and lofty one who lives in a high high and holy place. And then he says, and with me will also be those who are rich and famous, tall and physically fit. No, it doesn't say that at all. (laughs) You are awake, eh? (laughs) 
He does not say that at all. It says, those that will be with me are those who are contrite and lowly in spirit. Contrite meaning expressing remorse at the recognition that one has done wrong. That's repentance. And in Hebrew, it means to be crushed, broken and bruised. In other words, humbled. See, the holy God will allow the humble to dwell with him on his holy mountain. It will be, it will be those who recognize the need of a savior that will dwell with God. God looks at the heart and he looks for the Christ in us. Take the Samaritan woman in John 4. The Jews avoided Samaritans. They considered them unclean. But here she is, welcomed into the community of the new covenant. In fact, many Samaritans from the town the woman came from believed because of her testimony. What about Zacchaeus, the rich tax collector? Jesus recognised him. But the Jewish society would have excluded him. He would have been an outcast. But Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house. And what about Peter? When he was called, he fell at Jesus' feet and confessed, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. In each of these cases, the humility and contrition are seen, bringing them inside. On the other hand, it seemed that the Pharisees were on the outside. We must always have a deep thought of contemplation of who we are and where we are, which makes me think of two points. First, my own vileness and how repulsive I am and the forgiveness from my Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as we head into the valley of our sins, God does not leave us there. We started with righteousness and finished with humility and he guides us to the top of the hill to worship him. It's when we look at our sin and come before him in humility that we grow in love for him and develop a desire to do right for him and live right for him. We saw that with the woman who bathed Jesus' feet with her tears and perfume. Zacchaeus, who gave half his money back to the poor and then he repaid fourfold to all those he had cheated. And then Peter, who it says that he died on the cross upside down, deemed not worthy to be crucified like his Lord. So what does this mean for us? We can be sure that it doesn't matter whatever circumstance or situation you're in, God dwells in the heart of contrite and humble people. If you want to show evidence of repentance, then we must surrender to his will and walk humbly before him. You know, we have a 
whole culture of false gods out there worshipped in the most wicked way. But God will bring judgment and destruction. For the wicked, the pagan unbeliever, deceived by their own prosperity, the message is very, very clear. Repent or perish. But for the people who belong to the faith, humbly submitting to his will, he will heal, guide and comfort them with peace now and in the life to come and dwell in the house of the Lord. I'll leave you with this question this morning. Where do you see yourself today? Let me pray. Father, we are so grateful that righteousness comes from you through faith in your son, Jesus. We pray that you would help us take away any unbelief, remove any unfaithfulness and doubt that hinder our love for you. For we thank you for your great mercy and thank you that you don't leave us in our sin and bring us inside your fold. Help us to be a shining light in the community around us, to be the light in those dark places. Give us the boldness to speak your truth always in love and compassion. We thank you for our time together this morning and trust you will part us with your blessing as we continue to be part of building your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen.